Welcome to All Things Skin, a podcast series for women, and men of course, that will be discussing the ins and outs of the largest organ of the body, skin. Our mission is to deliver interesting educational information to as many people as possible. From debunking skin myths to in-depth conversations about specific topics, we'll cover it all. I am one of your hosts, Jess, and today I'll be joined by Camille, Hina, Avania, and Kelsey to chat about the hot topic of hair reduction, specifically going into detail about the diode laser that can be used for this treatment. Us girls from All Things Skin are dermal clinicians in the making, with a shared passion for skin and the drive to get as many people as enthusiastic about it as we are. So, I am very excited about today's podcast. I'm sure you've all heard of the term hair reduction before. I personally haven't had it done because I'm unable to since my hairs are red. I'll explain why that is in a sec. But I've had many friends who have tried it and had the best results, which I am very jealous of. So, permanent hair reduction is defined as long-term, stable reduction in the number of hairs regrowing after a treatment regime. A laser machine transmits energy that is absorbed by the melanin of the hair. If you didn't know, melanin is a naturally occurring pigment in our skin and hair that is associated with colour. Therefore, since lasers are attracted to pigment, they work best on brown or black hairs. So unfortunately, people with grey, red, my hair, or really fair blonde hairs are unable to get this treatment. The diode laser we'll be referring to today acts on the principle of selective photothermolysis. This means that the energy is selectively absorbed by the melanin surrounding the hair follicle without damaging the surrounding tissue. This laser uses a single wavelength of light that has a high abruption rate in melanin. As the melanin heats up, it destroys the root and blood flow to the follicle, disabling the hair growth. Diode lasers deliver high-frequency, low-fluence pulses and can be safely used on all skin types, but are mainly used on skin types 1 to 4. We'll be discussing about the hazards that are involved, the types of possible injuries that can occur, different control methods and what makes for a laser-safe environment. Hi everyone, my name is Camille and today I want to talk about the potential hazards that can occur when using the light sheet desired diode laser. The light sheet desired diode laser has a wavelength of 800 nanometers, which lies within the range for the class of lasers with potential hazards. There are two groups of hazards, beam-related hazards, which are associated with the eyes and skin, and there are non-beam-related hazards, uh, which are related to the electrical, fire, surgical, plume, and chemical aspects. The ocular damage by this type of laser is a potential hazard and occurs when the eye is directly or indirectly exposed to the beam. So the beam-related hazards, or you can call them biological hazards, can be as mild as a temporary skin burn or as severe as an irreversible injury to the eye or skin. There are also two different types of beam exposure. The first one is an intra-beam exposure, which means that the skin or eyes are exposed directly to the laser beam. The second type of beam exposure is a specular reflection from a mirror, which can be as harmful as exposure from the direct laser beam. Usually as a severe when the surface is flat, however, when reflected off of a curved mirror, the beam will widen, which results in a larger area of beam exposure. Even though the beam has been widened, there is still a possibility that it can result in a severe injury. So now going back to the ocular hazard, the major hazard that can be encountered is when the beam enters the eye, which is the worst possible outcome because our eyes are the most sensitive organ to the light. For example, how a magnifying glass is used to concentrate the light from the sun to just burn a piece of wood, the same effect occurs 
when the concentrated laser beam is exposed to the naked eye and it results in burns to the retina. The laser light can also damage our skin, which is called thermal or photochemical burns. It depends on a wavelength of the laser to determine whether it penetrates the epidermis or dermis or both at the same time. The mild, the mild ultraviolet light is absorbed by the outer layer of the skin, known as epidermis. After the laser therapy, it's important to protect our skin from the sun as it can cause blistering on the treated areas. However, thermal burns are rare because they only occur when the skin is being exposed to a high wavelength being for a long period of time. So now moving on to the electrical hazard hazards, which are non-beam related hazards. As we all know, lasers are electrical devices, which put us to a risk of an electrical shock and other injuries that can happen because of the high voltage used. And even if the laser is off, the voltage can still run through the components. Another non-biological hazard is a fire hazard, and it occurs when the focal point of the laser raises the temperature of any substance in an uncontrolled manner. This type of fire hazard can also cause a chemical burn if it interacts with a vet solution. So the final hazard that I'm going to talk about is a laser plume. It's the smoke generated by the operation of the laser and consists of toxic gases that could potentially be hazardous for a therapist and a client. So the plume is to be treated as a high-risk occupational hazard. To manage the risk of plume being inhaled by a person, it is important to use the proper filtration equipment while it's following appropriate work practices. And now Hina is just going to talk more about the injuries caused by all these hazards. Thank you. Hi everyone, I'm Hina and I will be discussing injuries related to light shear diode lasers in hair reduction. I would like to begin by reassuring you that injuries are a part of everyday life and are obtained during simple at-home tasks as well as in workplace environments. However, this does not mean that we should stop doing these activities. It only gives us an opportunity to explore ways in which we can prevent any adverse outcome. In the upcoming discussion in our podcast, All Things Skin, we will be discussing the safety and control measures necessary for safe laser hair removal. Now let's look at the possible injuries and the reasons behind their occurrence. The target chromophore in light sheet diode laser hair reduction is melanin, which is found in skin, hair, and iris of the eyes. So all these areas have a potential to be injured during the treatment. Talking about skin injuries, we broadly divide them into acute, or short-term injuries, and moderate or medium-term injuries. Sometimes, the heated hair vaporizes and produces a burning hair smell, which is called the plume. The plume condenses on the chill tip of the light shear desire, and hair material in the plume hardens. It absorbs subsequent pulses of laser light, resulting in unequal distribution of temperatures. Because most of the chill tip remains very cold, the burnt hair material becomes very hot leading to burns as the tip is moved across the epidermis. Luminous received reports of injuries to the patients including superficial burns, first-degree burns, and second-degree burns, and some cases of hyperpigmentation. All these injuries fall in moderate risk and resolve with time. In a research carried out in Poland and UK from 2016 to 2019, 
it was observed that injuries which are acute in nature are common to all Fitzpatrick skin types, such as erythema, itching, acute inflammation, irritation at the site of treatment, and are mostly reversible with effective cooling of the treatment site within a few hours to a few days. While the injuries with moderate intensity, such as superficial erosions, crusting, blistering, burns, dispigmentation, are mainly dependent on ethnicity. Most of these are common in darker Fitzpatrick skin types due to more melanin, including hypopigmentation, while hyperpigmentation on the flip side is common in lighter skin types. As with other hair reduction treatments, phototoxicity, photoallergy, as a result of photosensitization, contact or irritant dermatitis, pseudofolliculitis barbie, infections at the treated area, transient increase in hair growth as a result of photobiostimulation are some other observations. Ocular injuries form a part of severe and long-term injuries. The retinal penetration range is 400 to 1400 nanometer. Therefore, 810 nanometer diode can easily injure the eye. In case of accidental exposure of the eye to the beam, injuries such as reversible vision loss to irreversible complications such as retinal burns, detachment and permanent vision loss can occur. Plume-related injuries can result in acute short-term health problems such as mild throat irritation, cough, nausea, and vomiting, to severe long-term health issues such as severe bacterial and viral infections, viral wards, HIV or HPV infections, pneumonia, hepatitis, some cancers, and cardiovascular dysfunctions. All this sounds scary, but believe me, to every problem, we, the clinicians, have a solution. How we can prevent all these from happening will be discussed in subsequent sections. In laser-safe environment, it's really important when handling lasers in a clinical setting. Control methods are enforced to highly reduce or eliminate the possibility of skin or eye exposure. This is due to the hazardous levels of laser radiation and other additional hazards associated with the use of laser. These laser safety control methods include engineering controls, procedural controls, and administrative controls. My name is Ivania and I will be briefly discussing how each control method is important in controlling hazards associated with the use of the Luminous Light Shear Desire Laser. According to the Light Shear Desire Diode Laser System Operator's Manual 2015, engineering controls are built-in features in the laser system to provide safety for both the operator and the patient. They are supplied by the manufacturer in compliance with International Electrotechnical Commission standards and not to be altered by the clinic owner. Safety features include safety interlocks, an audible emission indicator, an electronic shutter, standby control and system controls such as password protection and emergency stop button. The Light Shear Desire Diet System has a monitoring system which allows laser operation when various safety settings have been met. When the system recognises a fault, it must be corrected before the laser is enabled. The monitoring system includes a remote interlock. This is provided to disable the laser if a treatment room doors open. Soon I will further discuss why it is important to keep doors shut when performing laser hair reduction. Now let's discuss procedural controls. These controls are operational activities that focus on equipment and practice. Some of these include ocular protection, controlled access area, plume management, fire prevention, 
and control of electrical hazards. Ocular protection is super important when handling lasers. Appropriate eye protection must be worn whenever the main power switch is on. Direct eye contact with the laser at any distance within the room is not safe and can cause serious injuries. Injuries such as vision loss as Hina previously discussed. A controlled access area is crucial when dealing with class 4 lasers. These controls are required to prevent unauthorised people from entering the area when the laser is in use. Doors must be kept closed when the laser is in operation to minimise laser radiation hazards and ocular hazards. Management of plume is necessary as laser plume may contain viable tissue particles, blood-borne pathogens and fumes as Camille mentioned earlier. A way to prevent inhaling these particles is to wear a surgical mask that can remove particles as small as 0.3 micrometers. To prevent fires, avoid using consumable materials such as gauze and drapes in the treatment room as the absorption of laser energy may raise the temperature of the material. Materials may be more fire resistant when moistened with water. Also, clothing should be kept away from the area being treated to avoid fire hazards. Control of electrical hazards is crucial as it may cause fatal injuries. To avoid these injuries, be alert of any spillages, leaks and damages. Make sure to turn off the laser and clear the area. Final safety control method I'd like to touch on is administrative controls. Controls maintain the framework for the clinic's laser safety program. They must be arranged before any lasers can be used. This includes requirements for laser safety officer and documentation such as reports and audits. Now you may ask, what does the laser safety officer do? The laser safety officer is responsible for monitoring and overseeing the laser safety program. This person should be able to validate the knowledge and skill of all staff in the clinic. They must have good knowledge of lasers and safety measures. They can also be a risk manager and infection control officer. They are the speaker and contact person for the laser program. Documentation is highly important. They contain logs, audit reports, policies and repair maintenance records. Without these documents, there are no factual or viable support for a claim. Incomplete, false and missing documentation is a liability for many clinicians around the world. So please make sure all documents are filed safely and are filled in correctly. Next up we have Kelsey who will chat to us about the importance of a laser safe environment and the risk factors involved performing this treatment. Hi everyone, my name is Kelsey and I'll be talking to you guys about laser safe environment. So while performing a laser treatment, the environment you're working in has to be safe for you and the client you are treating. In this type of workplace, there are many risk factors involved performing this treatment. This means that you and your client have to be wearing appropriate PPE for protection, but also your surroundings. So your workplace has to be up to occupational health and safety standards. This starts off with the room itself. So if the room in your workplace is small, cramped, and does not really have any good ventilation, that room is not safe as you run the risk of tripping due to the cramped room, but there is also not enough ventilation for the machine, so it does not overheat and any fumes such as laser plume don't harm you. Not only do they have to be well ventilated, but also the temperature and the 
humidity have to be considered as well. So it is recommended with the machine that the temperature of the room should be between 10 to 30 degrees Celsius as this machine emits heat, especially when used repeatedly throughout the day. So it is recommended that you have an air conditioner in the room. The humidity of the room should also be at about 20 to 70%, so that definitely needs to be considered. Next is the position of the laser machine itself. So the Light Shear Desire laser has a width of 51 centimeters, a height of 42 centimeters, and a length of 60 centimeters. This machine does not look like it can take up a lot of room, but due to the high risk nature of the machine, an appropriate amount of space is needed around it to actually function properly. This machine should be positioned in an area of the room that will allow at least half a meter from any obstruction to let enough airflow through the machine as it needs a fair amount of ventilation. Due to the high level of heat coming from the laser itself, the room also has to be thoroughly cleaned to ensure any airborne dust particles don't absorb the light and begin to heat. Also, eye protection is super important too, um, not only for you, but also your client. So when using any laser, the eyewear has to be able to protect you from the specific wavelength range the laser admits. It is recommended that both you and your client wear the protective eyewear and hopefully you have one as well that it has an optical density of 2.8 or higher and a wavelength of 105 nanometers or higher. And that means that the, gla the glasses can actually protect you from those wavelengths as well. But if you can't provide this protection to your client, there is another way to protect them, which I actually did not know myself. You could either use a wet cloth or a wet gauze. But for any facial treatment, you still have to be wearing um, eye shields. So for the client, they will be wearing a metal eye shield with a dull metal that is not shiny. As we know, during laser hair removal, there is a certain smell that comes with the job, and that is the burning hair smell that we all call laser plume. Believe it or not, this laser plume can actually condense on the chill tip of the light shear machine if it is not cleaned after every use. The problem with this is that the laser plume carries hair and tissue material and can solidify onto the chill tip and absorb pulses of light. The chill tips will still be quite cold, but the material that is stuck on the tip can actually heat up very quickly as it absorbs the light and can cause serious burns. We also do have a major fire hazard when it comes to working in these rooms. So fire hazards are a big issue when it comes to working with light laser based machines as the energy will elevate the temperature of the room and materials. To ensure a laser safe environment, everyone has to be aware of all fire hazards, such as all cleaning products used on or around the machine that are highly flammable should dissipate well before performing any treatments. Any flammable materials such as disposables should not be used in the treatment area, but if they are a must have in the room, keeping them wet with water can help avoid a fire such as gauze or any thick cloths. Lastly, to guarantee a laser safe environment for you and your client, having a cleanup procedure is a must. How to clean this machine is quite simple. Make sure it isn't plugged in when you are cleaning, obviously. Clean the tip with a lint-free gauze and distilled water, then dry with a dry gauze. All hand pieces and machinery that are not disposable, wipe with an antibacterial spray and then wipe over with a dry gauze. Make sure that everything you're using um, for the machine or anything around it um, has to have a material that is actually lint free. So we're not leaving any lint on any of the machinery that can potentially um, heat up and cause an adverse reaction. 
So that wraps up the podcast for today. I hope you guys learned something new or found something interesting. I know that a few of the hazards and injuries may have scared some of you, but the beauty of the dermal industry is that the level of training that these therapists go through to ensure the safety of their clients is huge. Make sure you always do your research before getting any laser treatments and especially make sure you see a trusted, trained professional. I think another big red flag I finally wanted to mention was that you should never see someone who can promise you permanent hair removal. This is because the only form of permanent hair removal is electrolysis, which is a topic for another day, but lasers cause permanent hair reduction. This can still give clients amazing results, so don't be put off. With this in mind, I hope you learned something about the different control methods in place and the ways to make a laser safe environment have all put your minds at ease and given you tips for what to look out for in a clinic setting or for listeners who work in a clinic, ways to help up set up a safer environment. So you can find us on Instagram at all things skin podcast. Please feel free to message us with any questions you have or ideas you want us to talk about on our next episode. Thanks for tuning in.